loving your neighbor as you love yourself predates Black Lives Matter movement. It predates Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, I mean, these are Jesus's words. These are words in the Torah. And so to peacefully protest is saying we want to see the kingdom and God's grace flourish so that justice can take place. So what I'm what I'm on a mission to, to do is help people see that the gospel is bigger and more beautiful than they realize. And when we realize that, we begin to participate in God's kingdom and really truly become his hands and his feet. And what I would say too is I marched and protested because I prayed. And as I was marching and protesting, I was praying. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 32. Thanks for joining me back for another episode. I'm so glad that you're here and that you're taking the time to spend with us as we continue to explore the topic of race, justice, and the church. If you've been following along for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've just had some dynamic conversations about the different perspectives on these issues. We've talked about it from a historical perspective. Uh, we've talked about it from the perspective of being an ally. And today we're taking a deeper dive into what scripture has to show us about race, justice, and the church. We talk about the cultural diversity interwoven throughout scripture and how the gospel is at the center of reconciliation, how the church plays a role in these long-standing racial justice issues from a biblical perspective, and some of the criticisms revolved around being active in what seems to intersect as social, political issues as a believer. Can you already tell how dynamic this conversation is going to be? It certainly was, and I appreciate that Dr. Derwin Gray was willing to take the time to spell this out in a direct and gospel-centered way. I've been connected with Dr. Gray for some time now and was looking forward to hearing some of the detailed work and studies he'd done around this issue. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Gray, Derwin Gray is the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community in Indian Land, South Carolina, just south of Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Gray and his wife Vicki have been married since 1992 and have two adult children. After graduating from BYU, he played professional football in the National Football League for five years with the Indianapolis Colts and one year with the Carolina Panthers. Super cool, right? In 2008, he graduated from Southern Evangelical Seminary, magna cum laude, with a Master of Divinity with a concentration in apologetics. In 2018, he received his Doctor of Ministry in the New Testament in Context at Northern Seminary under Dr. Scott McKnight. And in 2015, he was awarded an honorary doctorate from Southern Evangelical Seminary. 
All of that to say, Pastor Gray is awesome and has done the work. And you'll want to stick around for this entire episode because we're really about to go to school on this one. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Derwin Gray on the theology of racial justice and reconciliation in the church. All right, Dr. Gray, it's so great to have you finally on the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. How are you doing over there? Hey, I'm doing well. I, I just I just want to take a moment to say that out here in Charlotte, North Carolina, I am a big fan of yours, oh. and I have been watching your journey uh, via Insta. Appreciate uh, your rigor. I appreciate how you are bringing mental health and brain health and faith into a sacred space and reducing the stigma, but also moving people towards wholeness, that the brain is an organ and Jesus cares about the brain and medicine and uh, getting help and therapy is a beautiful thing. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you so much for having me. Oh man, you're just blowing me away over here. Thank you so much. Uh, you're preaching for one. Uh, and thank you for the work that you're doing. I've been following along as well. I have a couple friends that have attended your church for years. And so it's just been so cool to hear all of the work that you guys are doing over there. Uh, and for today, we're continuing our conversation on race, justice, and the church. Uh, and first, I wanted to check in. How how have you been doing with the climate of everything? How have you been doing? How's your family been doing? Yeah, yeah you, you know, so I would I would say that uh, uh, my soul is good. Yeah, I am a little tired um, just because it's been so overwhelming. But as far as my family, we're great. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a corny phrase like mm-hmm. this isn't our first rodeo. Yeah. Um, for my wife and I, we we both came to faith in our mid twenties. I was 26, she was 27, and all we had was Jesus and the Bible. And one of the things that we recognized immediately as we read Jesus, as we read about the Apostle Paul, is we seen that the early churches overcame racial conflict through the mm-hmm. gospel. That literally, Jesus not only forgives sins, but he creates a family of different colored skins. And that was because God made a covenant to Abraham. And so Jesus fulfills that covenant through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And this new family is to learn to love each other uh, and to promote justice because literally God creates a new race. Like you can't spell grace without spelling race. And so God's grace connects people vertically and horizontally and this new family of difference are to image forth God's goodness to the world to show the world this is what love looks like and Mm. so when we planted Transformation Church uh, 10 years ago you know we were told don't do a multi-ethnic church it never work you're in South Carolina and I was like well you must not know about the Holy Spirit's power because the racial tension the class tension was just as difficult in Paul's day as it is now. If he did it then, he'll do it again. And God has blessed us to have an incredibly beautiful Jesus-centered gospel-shaped, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, socioeconomically diverse church. And so what I've, what I've told our church is we're built for this. Mm. This is why we exist. And so uh, it's been great to be leaned on to help 
Uh, part of it is, man, I wish y'all had been listening 10, 15 years ago because I've been saying the same things I'm saying right. now. Um, so, but better late than never. And I'm excited about the white awakening that is happening, particularly with Gen Z's. And I think people are standing up to, to go, man, they've been telling us um, there's a fire. We've seen the smoke, but we brushed it off as a smoke machine. But there really is a fire of systemic injustice, a fire of racism implicit in the church, sometimes explicit, but oftentimes indifferent and ignored. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing on all of that. Uh, because like you were saying, you know, culture and cultural differences was so prevalent in the time of Acts, in the time of Paul. Uh, but what I'm seeing come up a lot is this idea of you know, this ideology not to focus on race and not to focus on cultural differences <laughs> because just uh, prompting that conversation in itself is what is doing the division. It's the conversation that's dividing, not the actual implicit biases or systems or structures. Yeah, which which I, <clears throat> which I believe is a stronghold power of dark demonic forces. Mm. It is, uh, you know, it, it is a, it is dark demonic forces, and I do think inherent um, in white evangelicalism is kind of this. Well, if we acknowledge this, that means that we benefited from oppression of the past. It means that some of my family members generationally was a part of it, um, and there's like this shame or this guilt, and there doesn't have to be because one. The blood of Jesus defines you. So therefore, we should be able to look at the past objectively, lament the past and the present, but then move forward in justice for the glory of the king of justice, because we know who we are in Christ. And the idea of a few years back, uh, and I wrote about this in my new book, The Good Life, is someone said uh, they sent me an email and they said, Pastor, we want you to stop talking about race as much as you do. Wow. And so I wrote them back and I, I said, oh, OK, well, um, there's no longer any Canaanites, Hittites, Zebubites, Perizzites. There's no longer Egyptians. There's no longer Jews. Uh, the woman at the well is no longer Samaritan. Peter is no longer a Jew. Jesus is no longer a Jew. Um, the first church council in Acts 15 was not about Jews and Gentiles. Uh, right. The good Samaritan we'll just call a Martian, I guess. And I said, at the end of the Bible, every nation, tribe, and tongue, we won't even discuss that. And if we did that, we literally would have no more Bible. Because mm -hmm. reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. And reconciliation is vertical to God and horizontal to one another. And the idea of not understanding the racial conflict of the Bible is simply asinine and it's demonic that you don't like literally you don't even have a gospel if you don't understand. Like Paul says this in Galatians 3.8. Mm -hmm. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham and this all the nations will be blessed. In Genesis 11, God loses his family. Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I'm going to get my family back. Jesus comes to guarantee this adopted new family made up of all the families on earth. And so through his life, his death, his work, this is a theological Jesus issue that mm -hmm. he wants to create reconciliation because at the heart of it, 
sin is reflected in human beings, and one of the great sins is racism and injustice. And the idea that it cannot be systemic does not understand Ephesians 6.10, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers. Mm. And so uh, this is a Jesus issue for Jesus's people, but sadly, a great portion of Jesus's people have never been taught this. And sometimes it's been Jesus's people that owned slaves, that supported slavery, that kept women quiet, that made women second-class citizens. And Transformation Church and the books I write are to set people free to be everything that Jesus has created them to be. Thank you for speaking so openly on that. That is, I've never actually heard it put that way about how we are wrestling against principalities and and, and powers and how that totally ties into um, this idea of something being systemic um, and, and built a certain way. Uh, it's crazy. I heard this quote. Uh, it was like, the system's not broken. The system is is operating exactly how it was created to. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yes. And, and, and I think what's important, right? And this is so important. And this is where we have to have the balance, right? So I am a I'm a New Testament scholar. I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm a theologian. And so we have to make sure not to have what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, like our times are the worst of times, right? Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. So, if, so if we go back to Jesus's day, if we go back to Jesus's day, <clears throat> when Jesus gets ready to ascend, excuse me, <clears throat> he tells 120 Jewish disciples, he says, go make disciples of all ethnos, nations, ethnic groups. I want you to think about this from a cultural perspective. He's telling 120 Jewish people, go make disciples of the Gentiles. What would the Jews have thought of Gentiles? First, they would have thought of this. 400 years slaves in Egypt. Canaanites, Hittites, Zebubites, Perizzites tried to destroy us. Babylonians made us slaves. Now we're being oppressed by the Romans. You want me to go and reach people the Samaritans, these enemies, mm-hmm. you want you want me to go reach the oppressor? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's why I said in Matthew 5, 45, but I say, love your enemies. So like if you're taught the Great Commission without understanding that context, you're being criminally robbed of gospel power. Jesus, when he tells the story of a good Samaritan, mm-hmm. Gosh, and that was told in the context of love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah. And Jesus tells a good Samaritan. That's like saying a good neo-Nazi, a good Ku Klux Klanman. Like that's not supposed to be the hero of the story. And you see the Samaritan, first thing that he does is he touches human suffering. The only thing he had in common with the Jewish man beaten by the side of the road is humanity. Mm-hmm. Next, he crossed ethnic lines, racial lines, cultural lines. And then thirdly, it cost him something. It cost him money. 
He had to put oil on the wound to keep it soft, wine to disinfect it, put him on his donkey to cost money and paid 14 days of wages for him to stay. And I'm sure for the Samaritan man, it would have cost him influence amongst the Samaritans because they would have called him a Jew lover. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is like, you want to know what loving your enemy looks like? It looks like racial reconciliation. Amen. And that's sad. That is common, basic New Testament scholarship that the church has been derived, deprived from from years. And sadly, Brittany, 99% of the emails that I get that have been critical over the last 10 years, which it isn't very many, but they always deal with, you talk about race too much. You're talking about gun control, which I'm not. Um <laughs> The only the only time they say I'm talking about politics, if it's anything that seems to threaten a conservative political perspective. Yeah. Like if I talk about abortion, oh, praise the Lord. And I'm like, well, we're pro-life from the tomb to the womb. So therefore, I'm excited about DACA and the Supreme Court. Mm. Therefore, I don't think that undocumented immigrants should be put in cages and separated from their parents. President Obama put them in cages, too. President Trump took it a step further and separated them. Both are evil. Both are wrong. We're the greatest nation in the world. Surely we can have better conditions for people. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. 
I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Mm, mm. I've been, I, you're speaking to my heart and it's just, to me, everything that you're saying, it's just, it's a human rights issue. It's a human dignity issue. Um, it's a human life issue. And you're right. It automatically gets pegged into these, into these politics. And it almost feels like a more so a form of gaslighting. Um, and I've been saying that where it's like, if you can say, oh, if you speak on these specific things, we're going to categorize you as this and therefore discard your opinion on this. Um, it's gaslighting. Uh, and so thank you so much for for that, but also for bringing culture back into the Bible because, well, it was already there, pulling it out, I should say, uh, because the Bible is so culturally rich. And yet, for some reason, we want to, not us, but I've seen it, like you said, a lot of times in the church, it, it gets erased. But, well, uh-huh, mm-hmm. This is what I would say, Brittany. I'm sorry that you got me like fired up. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I hear you. The, those who benefit from the system rarely want to change the system. Yeah. And so sadly, like, for example, Dr. King couldn't even go to seminary in the South. So he had to go up to Boston. Dr. Tony Evans was literally in 1980, which is not long ago, the first black graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm. There were seminaries in America that black students couldn't even come into the classroom. And here's the irony. The very doctrines they were learning were from black theologians from Africa. Mm. The doctrine of the Trinity, St. Athanasius. Do you know what his nickname was? I'd love the to know. Black, the Black Dwarf. Oh. Because he was a short black African. And if it wasn't for him, we'd all be Jehovah's Witnesses now denying the Trinity. But he gave a theological treatise of why Jesus was the eternal son of God. Very God of very God. Mm. St. Augustine, African. Like all the church fathers, pretty much they were studying from Africa, but the descendants of Africans couldn't even come into the classroom. It's important that people have got to understand that, you know, you hear things like generational curses in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will say that all day long, but they won't see generational curses affecting systems and structures. Yeah. You know, and so that's where I think. For me as a black man, I have to be a better exegete of the scripture than most. Mm-hmm. I have to have more knowledge than the most because a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be suspicious. But that's why I've done the hard work. That's yeah. why I've laid the foundation by God's grace so I can speak with authority, to speak with clarity, but most importantly to speak so that unity can take place in the kingdom of God and that justice would roll down. Amen. 
Amen. And on that, you've you've written more about this in your new book, The Good Life. You touch on this intersection of race and the gospel in chapter eight, which is titled Happy Are the Peacemakers, about how to move forward to promote peace and justice as Christ's followers. And can you tell us more about this and how that weaves into what's happening today based off of everything that you've been saying? Yeah, yeah. Th- thank you for asking that question. So basically, uh, the book that I've written, A Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness is this, is that in the Beatitudes, that's Matthew 5, 3 through 12, Jesus gives eight characteristics of a blessed person. And the word blessed in Greek is makros, and it means happy. Mm. So Jesus is describing eight characteristics of what a happy human being looks like. And ultimately, it's a portrait of Jesus himself. And so Jesus, by grace, is saying, sit at my feet live from my life, Mm -hmm. let my spirit turn you into this person. And so happiness is not about what happens to you. Happiness is about what God is doing in you and who God is making you to become. Well, one of the characteristics of a happy person is you are a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. So chapter eight, I open up sharing the story of the Rodney King police beating in 1992 Ooh, yeah. out in LA. Do you even remember that? How old were you? I was a, I was very young, but I like I'm born and raised in the inner city LA, especially South Central side, so it was so you know. it was huge. It was huge. Yeah, and so just to give some cultural context, when black people saw the video of R- R- Rodney King cuz there wasn't smartphones, we were like finally what we've been saying is caught on video, right? And and so I open up with that story and I move throughout talking about that peacemaking is actually about reconciliation. God makes peace with us through Jesus so that we can become peacemakers ourselves. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. So when my kids were young, they look like me. As they get older, they look like their mom and you get glimpses of both of them. My kids are, I'm black, my wife is white, but I'm also 22% European. My mom uh, is lighter than you are, Brittany. And I have an aunt with blonde hair and hazel eyes. And so um, we, we like, this is, this is a part of, of who we are. And I think God uses that providentially. But what I do is I lay out a theology of ethnic reconciliation and I give people the theological and then practical steps that they can take, not just individually, but also looking at it systemically and corporately. I love that. I cannot wait to dive in. And I, I want to say congratulations again. I've been seeing it everywhere and I'm so excited. I, I'm I'm sure of all of the work that you've been putting in um, to, to get this out. And uh, alongside that, I, as you're talking about all this, you're, you're not just preaching about it. You guys are actually doing. You guys are actually putting a lot of action behind this. I saw that you guys went out and peacefully protested, uh, yep. you know, and uh, that was super cool to see. Uh, you know, I, I heard someone say, if you're wondering 
about what you would have done in history, right? About what you would have done during the civil rights, what you would have done during the time of Martin Luther King, what you would have done when things happened with Emmett Till, uh, what you would have done during times of uh, slavery and segregation. If you were wondering what you would have done in history, what you're doing right now is probably what you would have done. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I think we have this idea of like, oh, if if I saw that going, those things going on, I'd be, you know, we picture ourselves as jumping in as maybe these heroes of I'd speak up, I'd stand up. That's clearly wrong, you know. Uh, but history is being made now uh, with all of literally. these issues, literally. Um, and so I think that really put into perspective, at least for me, you know, reading that, it's like what you think you would have done in history is what you're doing right now when these issues are happening. And so that being said, uh, you guys went out and peacefully protested and, you know, you have some video up, you have some photos up, it was super cool. Um, why do you think it's important for the church to take action at a time like this? And I ask that because there, there are a lot of cases where you see, um, you know, just pray about it. It's a sin issue. Uh, you know, you just need to give them the gospel, right? Um, kind of disregarding the race aspect of things. Uh, okay. Or just pray about it, or we're going to like kind of talk about it, maybe a little bit, touch on it. Um, but why do you, why did you guys think it was important to actually put feet, to put boots to the ground? Um, why it's important to do, to go a step further? Well, because we believe that that is the gospel. What yeah. I would what I would say is oftentimes what people are calling the gospel is actually a transaction. Jesus died, I go to heaven when I die. That is that is not the gospel. Mm -hmm. The good news, the good news is that Jesus is the true king and true lord and he is saving and creating a multi-ethnic family to reproduce his kingdom and love in the world. It's yeah. not simply, oh man, I uh, I got the barcode scan and I go to, he to heaven now. It yeah, is I now participate in who he is. So that's one. Uh, number two is loving your neighbor as you love yourself predates Black Lives Matter movement. It predates Dr. Martin L L Luther King. Uh, I mean, these are Jesus's words. These are words in the Torah. Mm -hmm. And so to peacefully protest is saying we want to see the kingdom and God's grace flourish so that justice can take place, uh, not just for uh, police brutality, but systematic injustice against Native Americans, against poor whites in Appalachia, mm -hmm. uh, it's misogyny in women against babies in the womb like we are pro-life we are all of life pro-life from the womb to the tomb and so to go out and peacefully protest is important and let's keep keep this in mind the black church has been doing this since its inception yeah yeah it's just like everybody else now is catching up <laughs> you know um so what i'm what i'm on a mission to, to do is help people see that the gospel is bigger and more beautiful then they realize. Yeah. And when we realize that, we begin to participate in God's kingdom and really, truly become his hands and his feet. And what I would say, too, is I marched and mm -hmm. protested because I prayed. And as I was marching and protesting, I was praying. It's not an mm -hmm. either or. It's a both and. Um, 
Yeah, totally. So what I was encouraged about is I seen so many Gen Z's out there and younger millennials. I was encouraged at the ethnic diversity. Dr. King's marches were overwhelmingly black. These marches are multi-ethnic and it's beautiful. And I think there's a generation that's saying, you know, this isn't going to happen on our watch. My one concern is this is that if the church is not involved, they're not going to think Jesus actually cares about these issues. And Mm. that could be the thing from the truth. So if you're listening right now, you're a young millennial, you're a Gen Z, and you don't think the church cares, tune in to Transformation Church. Google Dr. Derwin L. Gray. Tune in to us. We're in Charlotte. Become a part of our church virtually. We will give you Bible studies. We'll connect with you on Zoom. Um, no, this is a Jesus Christ issue. I love that. I love that. And I think switching gears over to, uh, the church now, the church more so in the church structure. Uh, I was just sharing in the last episode, I, and I was sharing with you as well. I come from a multicultural church home. So, uh, spoke very openly to these issues. And I think that part of that was because, um, you saw diversity from, the top down, right? From executive leadership all throughout to the, you know, the different small groups and throughout the congregation. And so I think a lot of these issues that you mentioned uh, were very salient and uh, became very important to everyone involved. And so mm-hmm. that being said, being the pastor of a multicultural church, um, why do you believe increasing diversity is so important in the church? And how might one who's listening, who um, may be a pastor or is starting a church, begin to take some of those steps um, toward that? That just might be like, hey, I'm a white pastor and white congregants just flock to me. Or I'm a black pastor and black congregants just flock to me. And that's just, it just kind of flows that way. Yeah. So what I would say is uh, I would I would just go back to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And every time you read in the New Testament, an ethnicity, just circle it. And then as you get to Paul's letters, when you read Jew, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, just circle that. And then you'll come away and go, oh, my gosh, how did I miss this? So the New Testament church was a family of diversity because God promised Abraham a family. Jesus came to make sure that promise was fulfilled through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Galatians 3, 28 says this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female. Now, that does not mean color blindness. That means color blessedness. Mm. It means that now we celebrate our ethnic and cultural differences together, not obliterate them. Typically, majority culture people read that and they go, see, we're all the same. Well, what they're saying is you you become white. And that's not what Paul is saying at all. It's assimilation. Yeah. And we don't want assimilation. We want accommodation to our differences. And then he says free and slave, and that's talking about economic, that the Mm. CEO and the garbage man gets treated the same way. Male and female mean that men and women are both co-heirs in Christ. That's what the family of God looks like. So that's the first thing is understanding that this is what the gospel creates. The second thing is, is I would invite pastors to what's called the HD Leader Roundtable that my team and I host for two days. I've written a book on this called The High Definition Leader, 
building multi-ethnic churches in a multi-ethnic world. Mm. So those are resources. And then I would say look up multi-ethnic church pastors and learn from them. But if, if, if you just at a basic level and you're not a pastor, just at a basic level, every time you see an ethnicity in the Bible, just circle it, especially in the New Testament, and you will come away with this, oh my gosh, how have I not seen this? Yeah. Every single letter that the Apostle Paul wrote was because there were f- uh, friction and faction between Jews and Gentiles in those churches, and he wrote to show how the gospel makes them unified and one. Right, right. Thank you so much for sharing that. And definitely we want to drop some of those resources in the show notes. So you guys be sure to check those out as well. I know I will be. Uh, And so here you are talking so openly about these issues, both in your church and, and online. And, you know, what would you say to other pastors who want to help move their church forward into the heart of these issues, but are afraid of backlash or don't know where to begin, (laughs) right? Say their circle is mostly this, you know, very white conservative. We don't talk about these issues, but they're feeling a stirring in their heart. And they're like, something needs to be said. Um, We need to touch on these issues in a real way and not bypass or blanket statement them. But I'm, you know, I'm worried. I'm concerned of, you know, what could happen from me opening this can of worms. Yeah. So, so, so let me say this is, is I would say, and I understand your phraseology, but I would say it this way is you're not opening up a can of worms. You're opening up people's hearts to Mm -hmm. a bigger vision of the gospel. Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is take time to lament I write about lamenting in my book, The Good Life. Jesus says, happy are those who lament, for they will be comforted. Take some time to go, man, Lord, break my heart for what breaks your heart. Uh, Help me have a deep understanding of of how I miss this. And then secondly, you want to take a season to learn. Like, this is more than a hashtag. Yeah. Um. Like you want to you want to take a season to learn. That's why we started the roundtables, because as a pastor, there were no conferences that I could go to to learn how to do multi-ethnic Jesus centered ministry. It mm-hmm. was it was all on church growth and suburban mo- models. And I said, forget that. I'm going to create my own table. So you're welcome to come to the HD leader roundtable. T- I love you're that. welcome to get that book. And, and so so listen or, or lament, listen and learn. And then be prepared for people to leave your church. Let me read to you a, uh, a Facebook DM that I just got yesterday. Okay. It says, this is why I no longer attend your church. I go to church to learn about God and the Bible, not to be preached about black rights and the Black Lives Matter movement, which has done nothing but cause more death and destruction to innocent people. Goodbye, and may God bless you as well. Oh, that's fun. Uh, well, but like stuff, stuff like that does not does not bother me. I actually yeah. have pity and compassion. And our church reaches like 40,000 people every weekend. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a worldwide show on TBN. And my heart breaks for a person like that because, one, I've never preached about Black <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Right. Ever. Right. Um, Isn't that crazy how that t- happens? Like you're yeah. talking about Black Lives and then automatically – 
you're with the uh, you're with the political you know side of Black Lives Matter and this and that. Well, and that just goes to show you that for many white evangelical Christians, they read their Bible through Fox News or conservatism, just like many progressive Christians read through MSNBC or liberal things. What I'm saying is we need yeah. to take our Bibles back. Amen. We need to understand Amen. the historical narrative. Um, but for this particular person, they've bought into a brand of nationalism and patriotism that is ungodly and idolatrous. Mm. I love being an American. I'm thankful to be an American. Like, I love my country. Yeah. But because I'm a citizen of heaven, that makes me a better citizen on earth. And the Constitution and the flag finishes with this. For liberty and justice for all. Yep. That's so right. as being a citizen of heaven, my call is to make America the best that it can be. And if it's not providing liberty and justice for all, then we need to speak up. And what's ironic is the woman who sent me that, I wonder how she feels about women not being able to vote in America for so long. Mm-hmm. So liberty and justice for all, when the Constitution was written, was not liberty and justice for all. It was all certain people right. of a certain kind. Totally. And and so as a Jesus man, as a kingdom of God man, my heavenly mandate demands that I try to help with bringing kingdom justice to earth so that everyone gets justice for all. That's not a political issue. That's a Jesus issue. That's why in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, let's do good seek justice, pursue or, or correct the oppressor, and enact justice. Mm-hmm. Like this is a discipleship Jesus issue. Right. So to my white pastor friends, like many that I've counseled and mentored over the years, you're going to lose about 30% of your congregation. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to tell you you're getting political but if you preach about abortion, they're going to go preach the gospel, brother. Um, they're going to tell you that you're getting political or you're getting this. And actually what you're getting is more biblical uh, because for Jesus, justice matters. Mm-hmm. And and there's a reason why our church is filled with Gen Z and younger millennials is because they're going, yeah, I want to be a, a part of a God who reaches people and cares for people who look like my diverse friend friend group. Totally, totally. Um, I think, I definitely think, speaking for myself, my generation as a millennial um, are over uh, sugarcoating very real and hard issues uh, taking place in reality. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we've definitely in a way evolved to that place. (laughs) Um, So it's very, it's, like you said, you may lose some who want to gaslight it or uh, pick it apart, but you're gonna get you're gonna gain genuine, um, I think, genuine members who have the heart of the gospel genuinely <laughs> uh, for human life. Like you said, uh, from the womb to the tomb. Um, so switching gears here, uh, as we're wrapping up, you know, you. 
let me just start with this. Um, it's been really heavy for the past couple of weeks. Uh, very grieving, very heavy on a lot of our spirits. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of us are feeling like we're kind of just now coming out of that heaviness a bit um, as we've taken the time and space to process more of what's going on. Maybe some of us have taken action in some ways that um, kind of relieve our that stirring that we need to do something about this and we're feeling more clear uh that being said you know um activism and fighting for justice and everything that you're mentioning it's it's heavy work you know and a lot of us have been saying make sure to take care of your mental health (laughs) um you are not less compassionate or, or less for justice if you are creating boundaries here and there and making space to take care of your mind so that you can approach this from a clear and wise and genuine place um yep and we talk about the paradox of uh of multiple emotions existing at once right that and you talk about this in the good life you know um how you can make space for joy even through difficult times you can be going through something hard you can be going through something difficult you could even be grieving you know um and and still Mm -hmm. make space for joy it's not one or the other and so i guess just kind of a rapid fire question here uh what does it look like to hold on to our joy in the midst of hard times like this or for someone who's just in a difficult place in life right now yeah if we dismiss grief we forfeit growth Mm. and i think so often as americans whether for christians or not it's be positive let's go you can do it and we don't ever allow ourselves to sit and grieve. That's why in a good life, you know, I I wrote this chapter two on or chapter three, happy are the sad, that there's this paradox that when we grieve our own brokenness, when we grieve our own disappointment, when we grieve them and put our grief, our sin, our brokenness, our hurts, our pains into the nail pierced hands of Jesus, there's a supernatural joy and healing that takes place. Like we long for sad things to become untrue. We long for the wrong to be made right. We long for the broken to be fixed. And in that longing, when we take it to Jesus, that's where the joy, that's where the healing comes. But a lot of times we don't wanna take time to grieve because it's too painful. But here's the deal though. It's going to be painful anyway, so it might as well be painful in a way that is helpful. You know, I don't like going to the dentist. It's painful at times, but it keeps my teeth good. And so Jesus is like, let me sit with you and grieve with you. So if you dismiss grief, you forfeit growth. And there's a supernatural beauty that takes place from going, man, this is this is really hard. This is frustrating. But Lord, I trust you. You know, mm-hmm. and you may need a therapist or a psychiatrist to walk alongside you in this process. And it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for everything that you've shared here today. I cannot wait for everyone to tune in. Um, I love how this ended up being more of a 
a theology of racial justice and the gospel. And I think that's something that we need to hear more. So I appreciate you. I appreciate all the work that you've done. It's clear that you've done so much work, like you said, having to go the extra mile um, to really get this message out. And I appreciate you sharing it with here with us today. Uh, so for those who want to stay connected with you and all of the stuff that you're doing and saying, uh, what is the best way for them to connect with you online? Yeah, just go to DerwinLGray.com, DerwinLGray.com, and you'll be able to connect with me in multiple ways, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'd love to make some new friends. Totally. And he's super active online and it's it's been awesome to see everything you guys are doing at the church. Uh, you guys are currently preaching a series on Godfidence, uh, which super, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Godfidence is simply saying, God, I know you can, I can't. So will you do it? <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's the whole, that's, that's the whole thing. That's, that's the whole thing. <laughs> Thanks again. Uh, and thank you guys for tuning in until next time.